Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Friends, grace and peace to you in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. I am a part of a handful of Facebook groups for clergy. Some of them are a little weirder than others. And over the last several weeks, all of them have had a thread or two pondering the question, what are we going to do about the fact that Easter Sunday falls on April Fool's Day? Now, my initial response was, I, I think I'm going to go with Easter. <laughs> but, you know, there's some room to play around. After all, the great St. Paul writes in his beautiful letter to the Corinthians that Christians are people who cling to a foolish promise. For in proclaiming Christ crucified, we proclaim a story that is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. But yet, it is God's wisdom in the face of the foolish wisdom of the world that clings to violence. And so, indeed, we are fools for Christ on this day and on every day throughout the year. But when I was a kid, April Fool's Day was less a time for lighthearted humor and more a day for kind of dirty tricks, right? I mean, my friends and I, when it was April Fool's Day, we'd do weird stuff like, you know, cover the toilet seat with plastic wrap so that when people, you, you, you know... Or you put a rubber band around the sprayer on the kitchen sink so that when you turn on the water, it sprays an unsuspecting victim. It was that kind of stuff. You know, the kinds of pranks that Jim would pull on Dwight in the office. <laughs> but this, too, is not far from our story. For this Easter proclamation from the 20th chapter of John today begins with what certainly appears to be a very cruel joke. It begins with Mary, sweet, dear, beloved Mary Magdalene, who's had a lot of trouble sleeping lately. For the last couple nights, she's been tossing and turning, going over and over in her head as you do that horrible scene she witnessed on Calvary, tormented by what this means, what all we have lost, what could she or anyone else have done to keep this scene from playing out. Tossing and turning, finally, she just gives up. And so early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still quite dark, she dragged her weary body out of bed, slowly got dressed, and walked sorrowfully to the garden tomb, to the place where they had laid Jesus to rest. And as she arrives... Though it is too dark to see clearly, she can just make out that someone has played a very cruel joke 
the stone has been moved. The grave of her beloved has been left open to the elements. The wind and the wild dogs. And so she sees the crushing truth, or so it seems, that all of the cruel cast of characters who conspired to crucify Christ have added insult to injury in desecrating his grave. Not content just to crush his body with violence, they can't even let his soul rest in peace. And so she goes to tell the others. And Peter and the beloved disciple have this little weird foot race to see who can get there first. It's an odd detail, but I don't want to talk about those guys. It's Mary. It's always Mary. Until the gardener, Mary is the central character in this scene. And as they arrive, they see that the joke is complete. Not only have they left the grave open, desecrated the site of Jesus' burial, but indeed, they've taken his body away. Not even that remains. There is literally nothing left to hold on to. The boys go home to ponder what they've seen, but Mary, Mary's feet are planted in the soil of that garden. Bound by grief, she lays down in the dirt and gets dirty with grief. She rolls around in her sorrow and she weeps for all that she has lost. And it is then that a gardener walks by, or at least that's what she thought. What's wrong, he asks. And through eyes bleary with tears, she says, Please, sir, if you know anything about what has happened, if you know where they've taken him, just tell me and I will go and I will take his body home with me. I want something to hold on to. Just tell me where you took him. And then, as Vickers so beautifully preached last night, with a single word, one word, the ground beneath Mary's feet shifts and the whole world is turned upside down as the gardener, as Jesus says, Mary, Mary, it's me. This story is not over. Indeed, it's just beginning. And there in the garden, new life for Mary and for all this weary world is born again. This is the promise to which we cling, the promise we proclaim in Alleluia's on this day. That here in the garden we have reached the end of the punchline of the best joke of all. That while death has done its best, God's abundant and eternal life always has the last laugh. 
Mary, death has nothing on you, girl. Nothing at all. For you, Mary, you bear on your skin the holy and eternal image of God. Can't you see it? That promise cannot be washed away. Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber preached on this text a few Easter's ago. And she talked about how perhaps the reason that Mary didn't recognize Jesus at first, thought he was the gardener, is that he was covered in the soil of his grave, covered in the dirt of the garden, with that soil jammed underneath his fingernails. You know, the way that my kids look after a long, hard day digging around in the garden. Mary, too, has that soil sticking to her clothes, hanging from her fingers. And this, friends, is an amazing thing. For it reminds us that there in the garden where new life springs forth is precisely the place where life began in the beginning. For when we go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, we see that when God first stepped down from the heavens and the creator of all things first stuck God's hands deep in the soil of the garden and formed so lovingly, so carefully, every living thing from that fertile soil. God crowned creation with you, Mary. God crowned creation by forming you and inscribing in your skin the very image of God, eternal and abundant that forever and always you would show God's glory to the world, that it shines on your face and exudes from your pores. There's a beautiful saying in Judaism that before each human being, as humans walk through the world, before them, everywhere they go, goes a whole host of angels ringing bells and singing, make way, make way, prepare the way for the image of God. For that is who you are. And in the waters of baptism, you were remade in that very image, in the image of the resurrected Christ. You bear this on your skin, and it goes with you everywhere you go. And while death will do its worst, that image, that life, that promise will always have the last word, no matter what. It is so easy for that image to be shrouded and covered over, for it to fade in the face of all this world has to offer. It's so easy to be layered over with grief and sickness and disease and despair and shame upon shame upon shame. But no matter what all covers you up, on this Easter day, it is all revealed, stripped away, so that you can shine forth to the world 
the image of the loving God, the living Christ, who has made you forever and always in God's own image. And so if on this Easter day the world through which you walk is still shrouded in darkness, and the dust of the grave, the soil of this earth still covers your skin and clings to your clothes, if your eyes are bleary with tears, your cheeks wet with sorrow, if you believe on this day that there is nothing left, that all has been lost, hear these words. Be not afraid, for before you goes a whole host of angels and saints with Mary in the lead, ringing the Easter bells and singing the Easter hymn. Make way, make way, prepare the way for the image of God, for that is what you are. And God is not through with you yet. For the soil that still clings to your clothes might just be the fertile ground in which God is growing a new thing. For the master gardener can spring forth life from even the dirtiest places. And those tears that stain your cheeks and fill your eyes might just be the living waters of baptismal promise in which our mothering God is bringing to birth new life for you and for the whole world. And indeed, the darkness that shrouds you early in the morning as you walk this weary road, that darkness might just be the stage on which the God of heaven and earth is about to step and split the night with let there be light, and there will be light. Because if you come to this Easter celebration believing that all is lost, that there is nothing left to cling to, remember this, God has worked with less. New life springs forth. The abundant and eternal life of God will always have the last laugh. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Thanks be to God.